Hello, and welcome to Co-op Cast, a podcast about cooperative board games, with your hosts, Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, how's it going? And welcome to episode two of Co-op Cast. Episode two. In this episode, we'll be discussing Aeon's End. Aeon's End. So this is a uh, fairly new, uh, within the last year or two, a uh, cooperative deck builder from Indie Boards and Cards, who have uh, created Flashpoint that we've already discussed and some other great games. They recently did a Kickstarter for a second edition with all new art and uh, graphic design and uh, a new expansion and a bunch of new cards. But we, uh, Peter and I, have played the base game and one of the expansions, the one that was more freely available. We did not kickstart the first edition. To give you a quick background of the game, you play Breach Mages in a world that's basically been destroyed, and you are in the last kind of city of civilization called Gravehold, and you are actually using the breaches, these kind of like warp gates, if you will, that these evil aliens, these nameless monsters are coming through. And you're using their own dark power against them to uh, to fight them and defeat them. In terms of actual gameplay, it's a deck builder more in the vein of Dominion in that you have uh, specific cards, like piles of cards laid out at the beginning that are randomized. Uh, and you are getting relics, uh, which give you kind of random abilities, gems, which give you money, basically, and spells, which do your damage. And at the same time, the Nemesis, whenever they have a turn, they draw a new card, which will often be either a minion or an attack. Uh, The Nemeses have very different powers and special abilities that make the gameplay change from game to game. Basically, you're getting money and getting stronger spells until you can, at least in our games, more commonly destroy the Nemesis, who starts with a large amount of health, 60 or 70 health. Or, uh, even though I've never played this way, you can uh, survive until the Nemesis deck has run out. And you lose if all the characters are defeated, although uh, there is no player elimination. Just uh, once you're defeated, you have a negative effect, and any more damage on you goes onto the City of Gravehold. Or the other loss condition is if you you let the city get destroyed. And then some nemeses have their own loss conditions. But those are kind of the basics. So on your turn, you you play your money, you lay some spells down. One kind of unique thing is that the uh, spells you attack with are preloaded the turn before, so you don't attack the same turn you use a spell without special abilities. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Did I miss anything major, Peter? No, no, that's a very good overview, and so let's get into the pros. Just before we get started, though, I want to say we're going to change our format a little. We actually have each selected three pros and three cons, and then we're going to get into our overall impressions. I think this will make the conversation flow a little better. You may not have six unique things because we may overlap, but we're going to try this out. I think it'll it'll help the format a little bit. Yeah, I, I think it'll be great. So I guess maybe one of us should start pros, the other one should start cons. Which one are you feeling you want to jump in with? Why don't you go ahead and start the pros, and the way we've ordered it is the thing we are least passionate about to our most passionate thing. So go ahead, and what's your number three pro? So my number three pro, uh, I, I called it ease of play. I think for a, a deck builder with a fair amount going on, this game gets you into it really easily and also makes the game flow very nicely. And there's a lot of different things in this. So first, a major kind of shift from every other deck builder I've ever played is that you do not shuffle your deck when you go through it completely. You just flip it over. 
and uh, the five cards you play on your turn, you get to order them in the discard pile however you choose. So, first of all, it makes the game go much more quickly. You don't have to worry about sleeving your cards perfectly mm-hmm. because everything just goes so fast, you know, and you're just flipping your deck over and continuing with play. Um, it also is kind of cool because it lets you um, set up combos more easily. You can, like, make sure cards that go together end up near each other in the discard pile. On top of this, um, another thing that kind of goes along with the ease of play is that the effects in the game, while varied on cards, are often pretty simple. So cards are not doing, like, really complicated stuff. There are no cards with paragraphs and paragraphs of text. Everything's pretty straightforward. Um, there's still some complex strategies you can you can employ, but generally the game is not too tough, I would say, for a, a newer player to the deck-building or card-playing genres. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, a final thing I'll throw in. The the decks come preset for your first game, and the rulebook has kind of like a learning scenario to walk you through. For a much newer player, it's kind of a nice option that they've already laid out everything for you. They literally take it the way it is, and they walk you through the first turn, and you, you, you get a nice little tutorial into the game. So that's my first pro, that the game is easy to get into and uh, walks you through things pretty clearly. I totally agree with that. In fact, my number three pro is the deck flipping, not shuffling. So I was a little more specific on which part of the ease of play. I really like that deck flipping. It really makes it very quick. There's not a lot of shuffling, not a lot of downtime when it's not your turn. And I think that really is something that sticks out to me. When I first heard about that, my mind started racing also with all the possibilities endless possibilities for combos you can make cards that are very hard to trigger because you're allowed to put the trigger right next to the card that it triggers with so cards that would normally be weaker in a normal deck building card you need two of these cards to get something really magical it'll work with this game because you do get to seed that deck and even if they don't come out exactly how you were hoping originally you can hold on to a card from one turn to the next and still set up that same combo yeah, so I, mean, I think it's a great mechanic. I hope more deck builders make use of it in the future because I think it's it's really a nice change. And you still have a little variety even without shuffling because it's not like the same five cards are going to come out together every time, especially with the way the spells work where you have to put them in your breach first and then cast them on the next turn. Your spells are going to kind of, it's going to change the order a little and the spells do have to come out before the cards you spent as money for the turn or cards you use for any ability on the turn. And so there is still some variance. It's not just, oh, I'm going to always get these five cards together every time. Well, it's funny you mention uh, variance because my second pro is the variety the game has from game to game. All right, I'm going to stop you right there. That is also my second pro of Vans and is variety. You want me to jump in a little bit first? Yeah, absolutely. Just to give you guys a few ideas of what you have going on here. So you have a bunch of different characters, each one with their own single unique card. And then on top of that, they each have a uh, special power that they build charge tokens up to fire. So you have a nice variety in characters, uh, some like sort of, you know, player abilities that are differentiated there. Um, Additionally, the game changes quite a bit depending on what cards are in the, uh, the piles for that game. The relics are very different from game to game. The spells and gems, not quite as much, but uh, some games you'll have a ton of ways to trash cards in your deck to make your deck more, like, smooth and quick-moving. Some games have a lot of effects that require discarding. Uh, Some games have more combos, some games have less. They have different combos, so that's very nice. Just to put a pause on that a second, is interesting, because the first game we played, 
a lot of things were high cost, and it really does play different depending on the cost of the cards in the middle. Yeah, in addition to having the different costs of things, I also thought it was neat when some games you have a lot of trashing item abilities, and sometimes those don't work to your favor. So for example, you might be thinning your deck, thinning your deck, and then you get these high cost spells later that you need to trash cards for. So now you either have to make a choice of do I trash these high cost cards in my hand, these good cards that I really liked, or can I not use the spell? And so I thought that was an interesting choice. Yeah, definitely. But I was going to say the biggest uh, thing for me with variety are the the nemeses. We always play with the expansion, but I, th- I think there are four in the base game, three or four. And they each play very differently. They demand different strategies. Um, they have different victory conditions. So uh, there's some really nice variety in uh, the things you have to do. Like one guy, you're blasting like hordes of little guys before they build up and defeat you. Um, another one is like putting corruption in your deck and you're getting actual benefits, but while also hurting your side, another guy just slams into you over and over and has very few minions with him. So yeah, it's a nice variety there. Yeah. You said it all right there. I love how every game feels different depending on the, the mage you choose and the enemy you're fighting against. All right. So let's move on to our number one. So mine, and this is a really important one for me with deck builders that I think few of them get right. Uh, My big number one for Aeon's End are the choices you have on your turn. And to explain that, so if you guys have played, uh, you know, most deck builders, I would say Dominion, Ascension, a lot of the big ones. I find generally that once I pick a strategy, it's very easy to just follow that with very little thought on my part. And especially the cards I play for my hand pretty much play themselves. Like, I know what I'm going to do, especially in a game like Ascension, where you have higher value cards and lower value cards, or something like Hero Realms or Star Realms. Almost always the high value cards are so much better than the low value cards, you're just going to buy the most expensive thing you can, and that's almost always the winning strategy. So I find in those games everything's kind of uh, prescribed for me, and like there's only one kind of right way to play. What I like about Aeon's End is that uh, you have several options for how to use your your money on your turn. So, uh, not to get too deep into the mechanics, but you have these breaches that you put your spells in. Most characters only start out with one of four of them available. So you can uh, pay extra money to rotate them and be able to use them for a turn. You can pay a bunch of money to open them completely. Some of them even give you bonus damage. Characters can spend money to charge up toward their special ability, which have a, a nice amount of variety to them. And then, of course, you're also buying things. But but unlike a game like Ascension, the biggest things, you know, the biggest spells do do the most damage. But there are some great effects at, like, the 2 and 3 and 4 cost level, too, especially with the relics. And then you need to get some gems. You're going to be totally poor and doing very little with charges and such near the end of the game. So I find that every turn I have to actually think and consider. Not to say that my turns take a long time in the game, but I just really appreciate deck builders like Aeon's End that make me feel like I am still making tactical decisions on my turn and not just playing what the cards have given me. And it's really funny. I wonder how often this is going to happen, but I'm with you again. I think we had them one, two, three in the exact same order. Different wording. My wording on this was other things to spend money on. I appreciate that you can spend it, not just on the cards. And so you have to look at the cards. Which cards do I want to get? Do I want to flip a breach this time? Because maybe I have a lot of spells in my hand. And so you have to open these breaches to be able to cast the spells, or else the spells just sit there clogging up your hand. And so maybe I'm instead, I really want to buy this spell, but this turn I know I'm going to have to, what's called focusing a breach, which means turning it, getting it a little bit more open, and it lets you put a spell in it. 
maybe I've got to do that this turn because I need to get some of these spells out of my hand just so I can draw through my deck better. So I do love that. And then your special powers are so powerful, but I never want to spend money charging them up. I never want to, but sometimes you just got to look at it and go, you know what? Even though I'd rather have that six cost card, it's better for me to charge up my breach three times or charge up my uh, special ability three times this turn. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy that we had the exact same things basically in the same order. Um, and I don't think that's ever going to happen again. I just can't imagine. But yeah, this, this game has very clear things that are really cool that a lot of uh, cooperative games don't do, especially cooperative deck builders. So yeah, it's, it's definitely impressive in the, uh, the positives they have. Exactly. And we're going to go on to the cons. This isn't a review show. We're not giving a score at the end. Uh, we're really just here to talk about the game, tell you the pros and cons, so that way you guys can make your own decisions. We are going to tell you how we feel about it. So it, as you learn our taste, you will see more even where we're coming from. Because something that may be a pro or a con to me may not be to somebody else. And so by sharing a little bit about our taste, I think that helps people determine who they align with and, and how they feel about certain things. Definitely. Okay, so since I started the pros off, you want to start the cons? All right, so my number three is the turn order. So when you do turn order in this game, there's a deck, and you're shuffling everybody's player card into a deck. So if you have four players, you shuffle one through four in, as along with two enemy cards. And it's neat in theory. But in gameplay, whenever player one goes, and if I'm just to the left of them in player two, I always want to take my turn. And everybody I've played with always wants to take their turn. So you have to wait until your player card is flipped up. So you shuffle the cards together, you flip it up. The nemesis may go twice in a row. And then player three may go. Then maybe player two or one. And so the order is kind of hodgepodge. And while it's neat, again, in theory, I think in actual gameplay it really leads to a lot of confusion. Yeah, um, that that one was like an honorable mention for me, if you will, I guess, or a dishonorable mention since it's a con. Right. But I like that mechanic, I think, a bit more than you, and I mess it up less often than you and some other players that I've played with have. I think it does lead to some cool, like, lack of surety. You know, I don't know that I'll definitely go next, so whether I prep a spell or not becomes a harder choice. But I totally agree that good idea or not, it's clearly tough to remember. And that might just be the problem that we've played these games before and we're used to going around a table and this game kind of breaks that mold. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not saying it's a bad part of the game, but for me, it was definitely a con. Yeah, my my, my third one is also a nitpick and is, is kind of related to what you just said. It's the fiddliness of the nemesis turns. So to give you an idea again, real quick of the mechanics, when you have a nemesis turn, First, you resolve all the cards that are already out. Um, and there's, there's a couple types that stay out. There's like little monsters and minions that will do negative effects. And then there are uh, persisting effects that will resolve after a certain number of tokens have been removed from them. So, you know, late game sometimes you can have like four or five cards out. And then you also draw a new card at the end. And kind of like Peter was saying, uh, people tend to forget, like, to follow the turn order correctly. I'm usually the most experienced player running this game with game groups I play with, and I almost always, at least a few times in the game, forget to do part of the Nemesis turn. It's hard to remember if I've drawn a card. It's hard to remember if I've resolved every effect. It just gets a little fiddly and hard to keep track of. Again, not a major thing, but just something to keep in mind, especially if you are all inexperienced. The Nemesis uh, turn can get pretty complicated. This mechanic is very similar to the way it happens in Sentinels of Multiverse, the yeah. way that the enemies in Sentinels of Multiverse go. I think it is more streamlined here. There are not as many modifiers, things like that to, to keep track of. I did notice that. 
but it didn't really bother me because as long as somebody is running the game who has played it before, I don't think it's as much of an issue for me. Yeah, and, and I'll say two things. Number one, um, in some of the designer like interviews or blogs, I forget where I read it, they pointed out that they specifically did not want modifiers and like plus ones all over the place like uh, Sentinels have. So I think that was a good design decision on their part. Absolutely. And then also, I, I will note that it is least a problem with the starting nemesis of Rageborn, I think his name is. Because he has the fewest effects that stay out and the fewest minions, most of his cards are the simpler version that just immediately attacks you. So they did make a good choice to have a nemesis that has less upkeep as, like, your first try. Yeah, and again, that comes back to the pros. I think they really did a good job of setting that up and getting you right into the game, as well as giving you variety in the enemies. So if you want a less fiddly enemy... I'm sure there are going to be many more that are less fiddly and some more that will be more fiddly as well, yeah. if you don't mind it as much. So how about your uh, number two, Peter? What do you have? My number two is variation in spells. I think the game does a good job of doing variation with what they can do. But really, you have two sources of income. You have money and you have damage. And it's really hard to differentiate those things. And I think they do a good job. They have some spells that consume other cards to do more damage. They have some spells that if there are cards placed next to them, do more damage. But it's still damage and money, and there's not a lot else going on. You mentioned earlier the artifacts do have a little more variety. But as far as the money cards and the spell cards, I think they did a good job with them. I just don't think they had a lot of room to wiggle. Yeah, and I have more to say about this later, Mm -hmm. so I'll... I'll stay silent on that stuff for now, but I, I definitely agree with you. So my number two is, and this is, again, a bit of a nitpick, because I, I think the game does pretty well, and I think this is a tough thing to do, but I think the uh, the cooperation in the game could be a little bit better. So there there are a few cards, not not many, at least in the base set, but there are a few cards where you directly help or interact with another player. And then, like, sometimes the card, the enemy cards will give you a choice of who takes the damage and that kind of stuff. But with it just being a card game, you know, like no player board, no positioning to think about or anything like that. And with the spells kind of coming out when they do and it often being pretty obvious, like you can finish this guy off or you can't. I feel like I'm generally playing my turn in a tactical way without worrying much about what Peter's doing and vice versa. Again, I don't think it's bad. I think they do a decent job, but I think just somewhat because of the nature of the game and also because at least uh, in the base set there aren't a ton of kind of cooperative cards to play with. I think it's definitely not solitaire, but you tend to be doing a, a decent amount of stuff by yourself on your turn. You know, I never thought of that, but you're right. You're absolutely right. And I love this game. It's interesting because we're going through this design dilemma as well with one of our designs, which is a worker placement game, and we had to turn it into a cooperative element. And it's hard to do, right? You have these games that are meant to be more multiplayer solitaire, so there's not a lot of player interaction, and you have to find ways to increase interaction within it. And so I do think it's an interesting design challenge. Yeah, and again, I don't think they failed. I just think there could have been more. I agree. If they put some more time into that, and hopefully for the expansions, they do put some more time into that and make a lot more cooperative elements. But you're right. When it's not your turn, you're kind of watching what's going on. Although there is a lot of table talk, too, because you see what the person's spells are. You can Just like any deck builder, most people lay their hand down so you can see what their spells are. So you are cooperatively working through hands, but 
you're right. You're not doing anything with your hand during that other person's turn. Now, to be fair, turns are so quick, like 30 seconds to a minute once you know the game, that it's, we're, we're not saying downtime is a problem at all. But, well, oh, hold on. Oh, well, hold That's, on. <laughs> that may lead right into my number oh, one. Oh, really? Go ahead, then. My original number one, I had said downtime with more than two. But I think more than that is it's just a scaling issue for me. So with two players, you're getting two turns out of the six, right? Each player has two cards in there. The Nemesis has two cards in there. So your turns come around really quickly. But when it's a four-player game, everybody only has one card in there, and there are two Nemesis turns. So you could end up going first and then dead last. And even if you're not, there is a lot of stuff that happens before you get to go again. And so it just kind of feels weird. I don't know if there was a better way to do it. I haven't thought about a way to fix that. Plus, with more players, you have more health. Your deck's going to have less cool stuff in it because typically you're going to have the same number of turns because the enemies are going to have the same number of turns. So you are leveling up less in a game with more players, but the enemy's still going to have the same number of turns. Now, again, there are things to counterbalance it, but I I think I prefer the game in a lower player count, personally. Yeah, um... And I, I don't think they've done anything specifically wrong because every cooperative deck builder I've ever played has the exact same thing where you are getting fewer turns with more players. Your deck is getting less improved and like getting built less with more players. All of them that I know of have made the exact same choice that they want the gameplay to take about the same amount of time. So there's not more Nemesis cards. Well, actually, there are a few more in this. You know, it's kind of like Legendary Encounters where they add a couple of cards, but it's still basically the same amount of cards you're going through. So the gameplay stays about the same, so you're not playing a game that's twice as long with four players versus two players. But yeah, I, I agree that two players has felt the best of the games we've played. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a perfect scaling, but I don't know if any cooperative deck builder is, at least so far. So your number two is, very, is part of my number one, and I think my number two is part of your number one. So you already said that the spells don't have as much variety as you might like. Um, I actually feel, even though my second pro was the variety in the game, at the same time, the sameness from game to game for me is my biggest con. And I'll go a bit further into it than just the spells. Okay. So, yes, the players are differentiated, but in some games you don't have relics and things that give you these charge tokens to power your special power. So I've had games where I've never used my character special power, or maybe used it once. And when that's the case, the fact that I have a single card, it's usually a weaker card that you get rid of at some point in the game, or at least don't use often. The fact that I have a single card different than the other players, and that we're all getting the exact same cards from the same offer, I find leads to less differentiation between characters. We're often all firing the big, the same big spells with the same effects by the mid to late game. So I think, you know, the characters are different, but maybe could have been more different. Um, I agree with Peter that the spells are pretty similar. I, in the second edition and the new expansions coming out, they have added more, so that's better. But I, I would caution people that if they're just buying the base set, the spells are not going to wow you. I, I think there is more variety in other deck builders in the abilities on offer than there are here. And that's partially probably because they had that design goal to make things fairly simple and straightforward. But that kind of hurt them a bit here, I think. But pro- probably the biggest thing... Even though the Nemeses have different powers and things, and even though you get different cards to buy each time, I find the progression feels very much the same from game to game. And I I don't know if this is a terrible con still. I I like the game a lot. But, you know, every game I buy some money early, 
I buy some relics middle, and then I just buy big spells late, and we're doing ridiculous damage. And every time we're just like trying to kind of hold off the nemesis minions until we're doing crazy damage, and then we blow the guy away. The nemesis change that up some, definitely. But not a ton. That that same basic strategy has worked in every game we've played. Yeah, it's it's still not a huge con, but I, I do think that as much variety as the game offers, and it is good variety, at the same time, it's it's more samey for me than, for example, uh, Legendary Encounters, either Alien or Predator. Any of those, I do feel like a bit more of an interesting, episodic difference from scenario to scenario. Whereas here, even though the Nemeses have different powers going on and like different minions they bring into play, I do feel like I'm playing sort of the same kind of game each time. I like the game a lot, but I do feel like when I play it, I know exactly what's going to happen and nothing's ever going to surprise me or... Oh, and, and I, sorry, I wanted to say one more thing. At least in the base game and one expansion, there's a pretty big lack of cool combos. I never feel like I'm doing something crazy awesome. There are, like, there are a few cards that kind of go together and definitely back each other up, but not in like a big way like I've seen in some uh, other deck builders. And I, I think that might be on purpose because with just flipping your deck over and it being so easy to put combos together, if they made them really wild, they would have probably messed up the balance and made the game too easy. But I do miss the feeling like I did really cool stuff with my turn. I feel like the combos are fairly basic at times. Yeah, and while I think there's a lack of variety in spells, I don't 100% follow everything you said. I do think there is a flow to the game, right? You are going to buy money early. You are going to buy spells late. But I also think that there are so many little things that happen in between early and late that could change what happens on a turn-by-turn basis. Similar to Pandemic and other games, I always feel like I'm putting out fires, And so do I want to put out a fire right now or do I want to focus on my main goal, which is doing damage to the main boss? So I do feel like there's a little bit more variety, although at the same time, I see your point where the general arc of the game is going to flow the same way from game to game. Yeah. And and, and, I mean, again, I want to say there's nothing wrong with that. We we loved Forbidden Island in our, you know, episode zero. And that's that's basically the exact same arc every game. Pandemic, same thing. Like, I, I don't mind a game that has the same arc each time. I just think it's worth, you know, if we're comparing it to something like Mansions of Madness or Arkham Horror LCG, where you're telling very different stories each game, and each game can have a completely different focus on what you're doing, you don't get that here. And that's not what they designed for, obviously. It's fine. It's, it's a really good cooperative deck builder. But it is not, you know, as different as the Nemeses are, you are not playing a different game each time. You're playing the same basic game with some different rules. You know, I can, I can see where you're coming from there. So let's get on to our final thoughts. Mike, why don't you start? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think this is probably the best. Now, I would say it is the best uh, cooperative deck builder I've played, and I've played uh, five or six of them. It's really easy to get into. It has really good variety. Um, I'm excited personally by the new edition coming out. I think the new graphic design and art direction looks really great. I like a lot of the cards they've previewed and stuff. So I I think uh, Indie Boards and Cards is supporting the game really well. It's going to cool places. The more expansions they have, the better the game's going to be because, again, my my main con is variety and there's going to be more of it. So yeah, I think it's uh, if you, for people who like deck builders, Um, who like cooperative card games, I think this is a no-brainer. Really great purchase for them. I agree, and I'm going to take it a step further. This game might be in my top 10 games of all time. I really enjoy playing it. I really do like 
While we said Forbidden Island is our number one deck builder for new gamers, I would pull this out over Forbidden Island with anybody with any experience. I would probably pull Harry Potter out first as a lead up to deck building and then pull this one out not long after though. I think as we were saying earlier, there's a lot of simplicity in the cards, which is good for getting new people in. And I just have a blast playing it. It's really fun. I've even played it solo. And I will say the one-player solo variant, as written in the rulebook, I think is terribly unbalanced, so don't play that. But uh, if you're cool playing it two-handed or three-handed, which I've done, um, it works really well. So solo can be a lot of fun, too. Very cool. With that, let's get into our design discussion. Yeah, so uh, we're, we're looking at uh, cooperative deck builders in general, right? Yep. Uh, so we're going to keep the format pretty similar. We're each going to list three things that we think are pretty cool about deck building in co-op games, maybe some opportunities for, for the future, some benefits of them now. So why don't you get us started with your first thing, Mike? All right. So, so this time they're not like really in order. So first of all, the thing I love about deck builders, cooperative or not, is the, the great progression you get in a very short time frame. You know, it gives you, like, the the feel of a role-playing game, the feel of Arkham Horror LCG, the feel of Pathfinder, the feel of any of these games where you have really cool character progression in, you know, the course of 30 minutes to an hour, where you go from an incredibly weak deck that is not fine-tuned, has no focus to it, to, like, having all these cool combos and things. I love that aspect of deck builders. And I especially love it in a cooperative sense because... With competitive deck builders, there's a lot of luck of the draw, both in terms of what you can buy, depending on how the game uh, handles the offer, and uh, also in what you draw. And it can be very frustrating that you got a perfect hand and I didn't and you win. But with cooperative, you get rid of all of that baggage and you just get to enjoy fine-tuning your deck and working together towards a common goal. So I just love the, the, the progression that deck builders ever since Dominion have offered and how kind of cool and clever you feel as you become greater over the course of the game. Yeah, that's a good one. I I think you and I both love a feeling of progression from beginning to end. Oh, definitely. And I know in our designs, we try to focus on that. Now, sometimes it's a negative progression where you're (laughs) having to deal with more and more as the game goes on. But a feeling of difference from the beginning of the game to the end of the game, I think is important for both of us. And I think deck builders do give you an opportunity to make that. And that goes along with one of my nice things about deck building is interesting combo possibilities. Yes. You know, you can do whatever you want with it. And I think Big Book of Madness, if you haven't played that, you have spells in front of you and the cards you're collecting are almost like your mana. So the mana will power the spells. You know, I think there's a lot of room for development of something like that in the future. I, I really like Big Book of Madness in the combos. Um, I feel like... And, and kind of talk about cooperation. I think that game does it right, like gives you a lot of cool things you can do back and forth on your turn. Um, I think it has a lot of other problems, but in terms of the, the combos and the cooperation, I think they, they hit it like right on. Yeah, and even going to the non-cooperative world, if you look at something like Core Worlds, the way they use deck building, the way Mage Knight uses deck building. Oh, uh, uh, my, my recent favorite, Tyrants of the Underdark, which is a competitive area control deck builder. Man, I think that is, for me, uh, I've played Clank too, but Tyrants is head and shoulders above it in terms of a deck builder with a board. I think that's definitely set the standard for me of what a deck builder with a board can be. Yeah, and we haven't really seen that in the cooperative space yet. And I really do think there's possibilities in the future where you can have a lot of teamwork if you do have this hand of cards where you can do a lot 
with the board space as well. Your positioning on the board matters. I really do think that there's a lot of room for development of this in the future for co-op games. Yeah, definitely. All right, so what's your next one? So my next one, again, is not necessarily specific to cooperative games, but is something to consider. I think every, and this is more a caution than a compliment about deck builders, every deck builder is going to face some problems in terms of what cards you can buy and what is available. Um, you generally have, you know, we've seen two models. Um, you have what I would call the Dominion model, which is what Aeon's End does, where you set kind of a market of cards at the beginning and those cards do not change. You do not see new cards. And then you have what uh, I think people typically call the Ascension model, where you have five or six cards uh, next to the deck, and as a card is taken, a new card takes its place. Uh, Legendary Encounters does the same thing as that one. And they both have, like, major issues for me. The the Dominion and Aeon's Ends one has much more uh, breakdown and setup time, because you have to, like, randomize the cards, find those cards throughout, and, you know, as you add expansion, expansions, it gets bigger and bigger. Yep. Find those cards, set them up. You know, that, that can be frustrating and add to the playtime. But at the same time, you get a more unique game each time because you don't see the other cards and you might like have combos that work in this game, but not in that one. Well, and you're also guaranteed to be able to set up your own combos, whereas some, exactly. something like the, the one draw in the middle, you may never see another card that combos with the things you've already bought. Yeah, yeah. The Ascension model, you might get like an offer that's all expensive cards or all cheap cards, which both have their problems. Some games have a way to clear it. Some don't. I think you should if you're going to design that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and then uh, another thing is, especially when you have a base game until you add expansions, often, depending on how ga- long the game goes, you're going to see every single card every game. So even though the variety might seem better on a turn-to-turn basis because you see new cards each turn, the variety, I think, can get very old very quickly because you basically see everything. Like in Star Realms, unless you add a bunch of expansions, you are seeing every card, basically every game. There's a little variety in when they come out. Maybe there's a third model nobody's figured out yet, or or that's in a game that we haven't played yet. Well, I think Big Book of Madness is a little bit different in the fact that you're just adding mana to your hand. So if you want to cast your fire spells or your nature spells more often you're just building up that pool yeah so that you can fire cards that you have laid down on the table in front of you so you buy whatever spells you want to put in front of you and then you can buy from a pool that will be the same every game this resource that will help power those spells yeah that's a good point i think that that is a strong possibility for the future i think something like that somebody's going to figure that out in a really good way with really interesting spells in front of you that will lead to a really neat cooperative experience. Yeah, that's a good call. So what's your uh, second one for deck builders? I guess variety and complexity. Something that's really neat to think about when you're talking about deck building. You know, you can have games like Harry Potter, which is one of the easiest games. I could teach that to somebody who hasn't played a game since Monopoly. So I think you can go from something as easy as that to even though it's not 100% cooperative, it has cooperative variants, but something like Mage Knight, which does have a deck building element to it, or some of these newer ones like Tyrants of the Underdark, where there's really some neat complexities on the board. Yeah, I agree that... uh... Deck builders and cooperative deck builders especially have that nice uh, kind of granularity to them. I also think Legendary Encounters is very simple while still having like a, a very nice thematic element to it. And actually, that's a positive that a game like Aeon's End, just through the use of different nemeses and different player cards, can go from simple to complex within the same game. So it's not even like you have to switch from Harry Potter to Mage Knight. Uh, some of these good games with some nice variety in them can allow you to tailor the experience either to what you're in the mood for or to how experienced the players are. 
And Harry Potter, you know, I, as we said in episode zero, I have some issues with that, but they do do a great job of adding complexity in as you progress from uh, year to year. Yeah, no, that's a great point. All right, so what's your next one? So my, my, my final one, again, is a bit more of a, a caution and just a thought. I do think that deck builders inherently have a bit of a theme issue. Aeon Zen does pretty well with it because you are these wizards, but you know, right now for me, I love cooperative games with a campaign element to them. Those are definitely my wheelhouse at at least the current point in time. And I don't really see that changing much. Not to give away too much for the future, but our top uh, co-ops in our group right now are probably uh, Arkham LCG, Gloomhaven, some other games. And these are all games that have a campaign element, you know, whether it's a dungeon crawler or a card player or anything like that. I would love to see that in a deck builder, a cooperative deck builder. And I know Firefly, the Firefly Legendary Encounter, has that to a small extent in that you uh, progress from one story to another and have campaign rules. And in, in general, I just I, th- I think there's going to be a challenge if, they, if you ever want to bring uh, deck building into that arena, which I think would be awesome, in that it's just weird that you have nothing and you're building up again and again. I mean, I don't know. I'm thinking (laughs) if you had like a quantum leap or like time travel kind of thing, like Terminator, where like all your stuff is left and you have to like rebuild each time you get to a new place, maybe that could work thematically. So this is more like I would love to see a deck builder with a campaign element as a co-op game. Yeah, I mean, I think there are definitely pros and cons. I think you can get really thematic. I think you do build, but you're not going to get... So the benefit you were saying about deck builders earlier is you can get really powerful in one campaign. But I do think you can have these long-term deck builders where you're getting more powerful. You're using that aspect of deck building to get more powerful. It's just over a longer time. And I think games like Gloomhaven and like Pathfinder Adventure Card Game do that. Well, I think we've gone on long enough this week. Thanks for joining us again on another Co-op Cast. Thanks for joining us on Co-op Cast. We'll be back in two weeks to discuss another great cooperative board game. Until then, please review us on iTunes, and feel free to follow us on Twitter at MVP Board Games or email us at mvpboardgames at gmail.com. Hey everybody, before we get to our outtakes this week, I just wanted to point you in the direction of a website I found since the last episode. It's called coopboardgames.com. That's C-O-O-P boardgames.com. No dashes, no dots. Really neat site if you like cooperative board games, and why would you be listening to this podcast if you didn't? They have news, they have reviews, they have top 20 lists, they have top 5 lists. A really neat resource for cooperative board games. So... I'm just pointing it out because I like it myself. Please go check them out if you get a chance. And now on to the outtakes. Those are the two games I was going to bring up were actually Gloomhaven and Pathfinder Adventure Card Game, while not strictly co-ops. Or, excuse me, well, they're definitely strictly co-ops. <laughs> well, not strictly deck builders, 